Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with showrunner and writer Bo Williman and composer Jeff Beal about their collaboration on the hit Netflix show, House of Cards. Set in present-day Washington, D.C., House of Cards is the story of Frank Underwood, played by Kevin Spacey, a Democrat from South Carolina's 5th Congressional District and House Majority Whip, who after being passed over for appointment as Secretary of State, initiates an elaborate plan to get himself into a position of greater power, aided by his wife, Claire Underwood, played by Robin Wright. The series deals primarily with themes of ruthless pragmatism, manipulation, and power. In our conversation, we discussed how Jeff and Bo worked together to help support the tone and emotion of the show and break down some of their favorite scenes where music played an important role. I hope you enjoy. First of all, I mean, thank you guys so much for taking the time just to talk about this show, which has obviously been a huge success, and you're headed into uh, season four. Right now, here we are in April of 2015. What, what, what does this time of year mean for you guys? What, what, what's kind of coming down uh, the pipe for you next? Well, we go into pre-production in a, a little less than a month, uh, and uh, sometime between then and now, uh, Jeff and I will get on the phone. Uh, I'll walk him through the broad strokes of the season, some of the themes uh, that we'll be exploring, uh, um, and uh, and we'll start talking about what we want to do musically. Uh, and that's as much me listening to Jeff as it is him listening to me. Uh, there might be things that he wants to explore, um, ways that he wants to expand the vocabulary. Um, and, uh, and, and we have a pretty sort of free ranging conversation about that stuff. Um, and then once we have that conversation, Jeff, what do you go off and do? Yeah, well, it's it's sort of a it's become a, a pattern that really started in the very beginning with with David Fincher when I first met with David and had had read I think about three or four of your initial scripts for the series, Bo. Um, based on that meeting we had again before he had started to shoot season one, he, he invited me to write some sketches for for the for the show, and, and I loved that process, and it's something we've now done every season. And I guess the thing that's fun for me on a, from a pure creative standpoint is that unlike when, you're, when you finally are writing the picture, which is, of course, what I'll eventually be doing as we get into the summer and the cuts start coming in, um, there's a way in which you can think about music a little more expansively and, and a little more just in pure music terms. And I don't mean that in sort of a way that doesn't serve the drama, but in a way that you're thinking about your musical materials as, as, as they stand on their own merits, as, as ideas and as dramatic ideas. So that's always really been uh, something that we've done and which I really love um, in, in terms of the creative process. Well, what do you guys think it is about the two of you? What's the similarities or uh, things that are less in common that you think well, that will work well together for the both of you? Uh, shall I go first? And I think I think we both probably got something to say about that. But I'll, I'll, let me let me talk about Bo, and then he can. <laughs> but you know, this is this is kind of funny because um, I learned I think after the first season that Bo is also sort of a visual artist. He's done some amazing you know work in that area, and he comes from that world. And he understands that world, and there's something about his writing and the way he thinks about everything we do on the show that I find really um, exciting and, and different in the sense that, um, 
you know, there is a lot of use of metaphor. There is a, there's a sort of this expansive sense of sometimes brutal, brutal simplicity. And, and, and there's a poetic nature to the way the characters are written and a, and a sophistication that, that I find, at least in terms of, if I, if I compare House of Cards to a lot of other things I do, there's really no, there's no real clear, clear analog for me creatively. And that's always fun because as, a, as an artist, I hate the idea of just repeating, repeating what I'm doing. And I'm always looking for, you know, people as collaborators that sort of push me into areas that I maybe don't get to explore as often. So that's, that's definitely something I think that, that is part of our, it's baked into our relationship just from the way the show is conceived and the way Bo sort of writes it and maps out his, his ideas. You know, I mean, I think a good score wants to, wants to follow suit and wants to not just mimic that, but somehow take that shape, you know, and, and, and make it emotionally and dramatically um, amplified in, in sound. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, the chief difference between the two of us is that Jeff is a musical maestro and I'm the farthest thing from it. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I enjoy music. I listen to a lot of music, but I'm not trained in it. I don't, uh, I don't know the lingo. I don't know how to talk talk about it intelligently. Um, I'm always fumbling to articulate um, what, what I want to communicate to Jeff in terms of, you know, a feeling or a sound. Um, and, and that sound isn't necessarily even a musical sound. I mean, I'll talk about it in pretty dumb terms, uh, but he, he is able to um, sort of cut through my haze and, and hear me and understand what I'm trying to get across um, as, as we talk about the music for a season or for an episode or for a scene. Um, I think uh, uh, one of the things that we're quite similar in is that, uh, and Jeff touched upon this, we're, we're not big fans of uh, repetition, of, of getting comfortable um, repeating ourselves doing the same thing over and over uh, so every scene every episode is an opportunity uh, to to try something new um, Jeff's pretty brilliant in the ways that he will uh, bring certain melodies or motifs um, those are those are words I learned from Jeff by the way uh, back, back, nice use. but they're always evolving and transforming uh, and uh, and that's one of the exciting things about about working on the score with Jeff is that uh, every episode is a surprise. I mean, and, and but what's kind of remarkable is even though I have zero musical training, can't really talk about it in an intelligent way. Um, Jeff's music seeps into my bones. I often can hear it when I'm writing an episode. Uh, I, I can't hear what he's going to compose because he hasn't composed it yet, and he's going to surprise me with something. But there's there's a, a sort of instinctual kind of um, residue of the past seasons that that I find uh, it, it it sort of fills my imaginary eardrums uh, as I'm working on a scene. Uh, I, I think the music really informs uh, the pace and feel of the show and the writing of it. Uh, and that's a, that's a sort of call and response uh, that I find really exhilarating. How, how, how was the first, even the first, first season starting off from the very beginning with no reference point? Did the music come before the story was fully developed for that first season? Or what, what was the kind of timing for everything to set the tone of moving forward for that first season, at least? When I wrote the first episode, uh, we didn't have any music, of course. Uh, we had not linked up 
with Jeff yet, uh, but as we were getting into uh, producing the first couple episodes, uh, Jeff and David had already been talking, and Jeff had started putting together uh, sketches for the opening credit sequence. As soon as I heard those, that I mean, you know, anyone who's a fan of the show. Um, is really familiar with that iconic uh, opening sequence that Jeff composed, uh, and and I think that wormed its way into me pretty damn quickly. Uh, as soon as we started to get score um, for the first few episodes, uh, it, it there was sort of no turning back. I mean that that music was a big part of uh, thinking about the show moving forward. Jeff, I'm you having uh, this you know background as an um, as a tr- uh, playing trumpet early, uh, you know, in your life, and you know, having this jazz career, what did you find? You know, did you want to have those influences kind of seep into this, or was there kind of a? Because uh, there's there's other influences, genres that kind of seep into the themes of the show really well. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a bit of an experiment. It was not when when David and I initially talked. We didn't really talk about sort of these film noir, sophisticated sort of jazzy voice but after reading those first four few scripts and just sort of really thinking about I think Frank and Claire more than any other relationships I just felt like wow there's something very sophisticated and adult about this and I just sort of instinctually went back to that sort of jazz harmonic language you know one of the sketches I wrote um, as an early sketch is really the score for that wonderful scene in the pilot where Frank comes home and tells Claire he didn't get the job and sort of has his dark night of the soul there and nobody says anything for about two minutes and it's yeah. just a beautiful piece of cinema. And David, you know, having these sketches for me, you know, he, he and Kirk, Kirk Baxter, his editor, actually placed that one in there and that's that's pretty much the one that stuck. But, you know, it's kind of interesting just to, just to go back a little bit to what you were saying about a first season and finding your way. One of the things that I think revealed itself to me and, and it continues to be a fun part of doing a show like House of Cards is that I, I remember very well doing that first season, having you know feeling like I was uncovering the layers and discovering who, where we were going, and I, I remember very clearly when we got to episodes like ten and eleven. It's it's where Peter Russo's character sort of comes to a head, and Claire's character comes to a very important decision um, with with her sort of photographer boyfriend, and you know, I, and and I real and then there was some new music that came out of that, and I realized that I wasn't really scoring. Uh, I'll be curious to hear what Bill Bo has to say about this. But I, you know, and I think this is very intentional in the way it's scripted. Is the season of House of Cars is, is on one level, yeah, thirteen individual, you know, dramas. But on another level, it really feels like this continuous, you know, thirteen-hour movie or something. It's it's got an arc. So there is like a there's a first, a second, and a third act to a season. That that I I, I continually find every season we do. You know, when, when I get into that into those various acts, I just by den- it feels like the the writing and the drama demands some sort of modulation or development that that propels us, you know, into that new that new place, which is fun for me. It feels again like we're not just regurgitating. I mean, this House of Cards just feels like this kind of story that's constantly evolving and uncovering itself over time. I, th- I think too an aspect of I think how as movie or you know film show watchers we all kind of know how music is a device to kind of lend an audience down a path but how do you guys spot uh your your you know your episodes what was that process like are there specific places or do you find it in post how do you guys kind of cover an episode 
It's a it's a collaboration uh, mostly between the director and Jeff in terms of where music goes uh, in conjunction with the editors. Uh, and, and you know, I, I provide a certain level of oversight that once a cut comes in, uh, I will uh, I will look at it, and if I have anything to add. Um, as to you know where I think something should go where it isn't, or something uh, maybe should we should think about um, you know having a scene without music, or or maybe you know uh, explore a different tone in a scene. Although that that's quite rare. I mean, I would say. Um, you know, there there are plenty of episodes where uh, I don't have any comments at all because I'm so pleased with what everyone has done. Uh, but initially, uh, we we allow the directors uh, to uh, spot music with uh, editors, uh, and but always give Jeff the liberty, uh, of course, to say if there's a spot where music was not spotted um, and you feel something belongs there, go for it and let's all discuss it uh, and vice versa. If there's a place where music is spotted and Jeff wants to show some restraint and say, let's see how this plays without music because I'm, you know, I'm, I may be doing something the scene before and the scene after um, that that needs a, a breath between it, um, you know, that, that becomes a discussion. Uh, usually, um, I think you know Jeff. You tell me, but but the directors and the editors uh, have pretty good instincts, and uh, and and uh, you know, and and Jeff too is not shy about saying you know where he thinks uh, something might need to go if it's not there, and and uh, it's it's a pretty productive collaborative process. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, and I, and I would say you know, Elver, the you know, of course, in the first season we didn't have hardly any temp music, so we were sort of very much left to our own devices in lieu, in lieu of that. But uh, but as as we sort of you know uh, work through the seasons, you know the directors and the picture editors have become so good with 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 using the existing score that um, a lot of times they'll build in um, a general shape for spotting that will um, really help inform me and, and just at least give me a clue to get started. But you know, like what well, was something with some interesting happened like with the rhythm of the show in this for. Example like Agnesta Holland. I hope I'm saying her name right. <laughs> Wonderful director. Um, directed a couple of our shows, and she specifically wanted less music than we usually do. So, uh, and I like that idea because you know, and that was that was a case where you know, I think part of what we'd like, I think what something that happens with spotting in general, which I will say, and I I always talk about, it, I always think about it, is there's a rhythm that gets established when music comes in and goes out and comes back in, and um, the more you can be less, like I think, you know, as Bo was alluding to earlier, the more you can sort of sometimes break that rhythm or surprise it, the better. Um, and that's something that I'm often trying to be at least mindful of when I'm working. You know, one of the things that's fun about um, our show, and it seems to be sort of a, uh, a it's not a pattern, but it, a lot of times a scene will start off going one direction, and you think you, think you know where it's going to happen, then there'll be some really interesting but unexpected twist in the middle you know so so often you know not sometimes i'm 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 trying to sort of figure out how i'm going to negotiate that dramatic turn within a scene or or on a, on a more expansive level um there were there were definitely some some segments in in all the three seasons where music really is able to not just score one scene or one character or one situation, but we can use it to sort of bridge over several. I, mean, I think of a really good example in, in episode, um, I think, seven of our third season where we sort of intercut this beautiful um, Tibetan 
ceremony. Oh, right, yeah. When they sort of finally destroy the sand mandala, it's intercut um, beautifully with with Frank and Claire renewing their vows. Um, in, and, and, and so that's a good example where sort of m using some of the Tibetan music and a score layer on top of that was able to sort of give you this sort of sonic and emotional glue that carried you through that whole that whole long sequence. So I was just gonna say, like in a scene like that, I remember watching it, and, and um, myself and my fiance we were watching, it and and it was like it feels like you're trying to trick the audience because it's so clever, not only in the music but also in the picture. So is that a happy accident, or is that was that something that Bo that was planned out in terms of how that that section played out, that scene played out? You're talking about the mandala. Yeah. Uh, well, quite early on, uh, I was talking to Jeff about this mandala when we knew it was going to be in the episode and was so taken by uh, the chants that these particular monks uh, had recorded. I mean, they, they have several CDs, uh, albums. Uh, they were real Tibetan monks uh, making a real mandala. And uh, at the beginning and end of the mandala ceremony, uh, they they do about an hour of music, which is uh, mostly chanting, but there are a few instruments involved. I, I don't know the names of these instruments. I'm sure Jeff does, because uh, he he actually um, Jeff, you uh, made a documentary, didn't you? Or participate in a documentary about uh, Tibetan monks. I did a wonderful film. Uh, it was called Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion, and I I collaborated a little bit with this Tibetan musician Nwang Ketchog, Ketchog, who came to my studio and played a lot of those, you know, the longhorn and all these really cool, cool Tibetan instruments, yeah. It's a singular sound. There's nothing quite like it. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, if we were going to have a mandala being made, it seemed natural that we would employ some of the sounds that are associated with it. So uh, I gave Jeff a heads up quite early on and I said, uh, you may want to, I think we want to uh, feature this music. Uh, you may want to let it live on its own. You may want to uh, do something with your score for the episode that, uh, echoes that music or, or find ways to overlay the two uh, and really left it to Jeff to experiment. Uh, uh, and and that sequence, uh, which we tried a lot of different edits for because it's visual and emotional, uh, but expressionistic in nature, uh, went through a, a number of iterations and Jeff did a great job working with the editors uh, to get it just right so that the um, interplay between the imagery and the sound felt as organic as the ceremony itself. I, I think that's a fantastic example when story and music and just all of the aspects of cinematography come together and really, you know, lift a scene in a way that is unexpected. Are there other scenes that, that stand out to you, whether it was in this recent season or in the past that you guys are proud of? Uh, well, I, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm, there's so many. It's a, it's a long list. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm the beneficiary of seeing uh, the sort of end of the process. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get a cut uh, that has all of the music incorporated after uh, Jeff has experimented and worked with his musicians, and that's been put into the episode. Um, so sometimes I'm not privy to... Uh, the the journey that Jeff takes between getting a rough cut and uh, and and you know me seeing a cut that has all the music uh, put in. I mean, Jeff, are, are there? I'm curious. Are there particular scenes or episodes that you found uh, 
very challenging, uh, that, that were, you know, sort of stubborn in their, um, in, 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 in their, uh, you know, sort of, I don't even know how, how to put it, but I, I guess that, that presented challenges to you where you had to kind of go back to the drawing board again and again to get the, the tone or feel that you were looking for? Yeah, I think I, I'll, I'll, I'll mention a few from I, I, the, the first one I'll, I, that come, comes to me comes to me is, is in season one. There's a great scene where the then vice president, who has been sort of denied a very good place at a signing of a bill, actually sneaks into the Oval Office and steals a pen. Do you remember that scene? Oh, yeah, sure. Michael? Yeah. And it's really a great scene. It's sort of funny. It's also sort of... Um, sort of sad because this guy just seems like the kind of person who's never really going to sit in that chair. He's just sort of not, doesn't have that quality, you know? So it's sort of pathetic on another level. And I remember looking at that and just thinking, wow, what's going to, what's going to work here? And, and I, and, and it's, it just, it's sometimes the simplest idea is, is the strongest. And I just started doing a very simple solo piano version of what is the main title of music, which we usually hear in a very sort of big and grand fashion, right? And as soon as I tried that, it just like, you know, that, the, the size of the instrumentation somehow clicked for me and, and it just worked, you know. Um, the other, in, in season three, a couple things that stand out for me, you know, that I really love the fact that we sort of, that, that, that Frank Underwood's world sort of explored, you know, expanded on geographic terms. And, you know, as a composer, you know, I mean, I love the fact that we, that a lot of, several of our storylines in season three went to Russia because that's just such a rich yeah, musical sure. place and and I don't know if this is the one you're screening tonight Bo I think I heard from from Megan maybe it is but I that's one of my particularly favorite episodes from a musical point of view just that whole uh, scene where Frank and Claire go to Russia they work to extract the 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 man in prison Michael Corgan who's um, a gay rights activist and it's just it's got this wonderful sense of, of, of climactic and emotional um, energy behind it that was really um, fun. You know, a lot of times there's, it's really important to, <laughs> to use a lot of restraint and not to overdo it, you know? Um, so that was, that was a case where I felt like because of the setting and because of what happens in the story, which is so intense that we sort of earned some pretty broad strokes. But, you know, going towards the end of season three, um, I, I think I particularly had fun with, with, with Doug Stamper's character and, and his sort of angst and and um, uh, journey um, dealing dealing with with Rachel and his sense of memory and his sort of complex relationship with her that was that was fascinating and then just one other scene that I was particularly pleased about because I think it was one of the ones where uh, there was no music put in by the director and I assumed that maybe they, that what I wrote wouldn't be used but it's a really it's a great scene. Where where Claire is giving blood is this ten? Is this? Oh yeah, sure. I can't remember the number of it, but it's uh, either ten or eleven of episode of, of season three, and and she sort of goes into this beautiful, uh, powerful performance that's that's part confessional and part sort of uh, just sort of whole exploration of her psyche, you mm -hmm. know, because she's losing blood and oxygen. But I, I, I always felt like that scene, you know, although the, you know, it stood on its own from a, from a performance point of view, that it could benefit from a musical voice, and that that was that was a, one that kind of stuck with me as well. One one that really uh, sticks out for me that I'm proud of uh, 
was the opening scene of season two. Uh, we had, I had written uh, a scene to start off the season. Uh, we had shot a scene and it yeah. didn't work. It, it was bad. Um, I, I was, it was contrived and overwrought um, and I, I was trying to do too much with it. Uh, so towards the end of the season, uh, I went back to the drawing board knowing that we had a few days of reshoots available to us uh, and wrote a scene from scratch. Now, it, on the surface, it's a pretty simple scene. Uh, you have uh, a big park, uh, static shot, it's late at night, uh, and um, you don't see anything except this this static landscape. Uh, and then uh, emerging uh, in the distance, uh, out of the trees uh, are two little dots, which as they grow closer to us, we realize are Francis and Claire running, uh, picking up where the end of season one uh, left off. Uh, it, 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 it was a scene that I wanted to uh, be quite simple in that it, it dramatized uh, perseverance, forward movement, partnership, exertion. Uh, and the reason I think it works is because uh, it's it's over a minute, which is a lot of a lot of screen time for one shot. Uh, it's over a minute where they actually run that distance from the horizon to us. They pause for a moment uh, to get their breath. They glance at each other and then they keep running right past the camera and we're into credits. Uh, the the scene I think only works. Uh, because of the musical element to it. Because when you have a scene like that, that, that is purely visual, where for the most part, you can't see the actors' faces until they get quite close to you, uh, you need music to set a tone. And it's very a very important tone that we're setting because it's the beginning of a season. Uh, so I, I remember calling Jeff up and describing the shot that we wanted to do and saying... <clears throat> that you know, I, I was interested in, in a sort of drone-like quality, um, something that came kind of deep from the bowels of the earth um, and, and almost as imperceptibly as, as they sort of emerge from the darkness kind of um, slowly wells up. Uh, and as they get closer to us, the, the, the music not only get uh, I wanted it to not only get louder but but more complex and and more full and rich um, I'm giving you now an example of how I, I struggle to communicate you know <laughs> I, I, I don't know all the lingo but but I can sort of express a, a feeling and a tone and an atmosphere to Jeff uh, and uh, he got it straight away and started playing around uh, with what that might sound like even before we had shot it uh, and then of course, once we had the footage, you know, th this had to be scored, you know, exactly to the minute and 23 seconds or whatever it was that the scene was. Uh, and, you know, the, the footage in its raw state um, wasn't much, to, you know, wasn't much. I mean, it, it's yeah. uh, it was beautiful visually, but uh, but we really relied on that music for the emotional tone. And I think Jeff nailed it. And so we we went from a pretty bad opening scene that we tossed out to what I think was a really beautiful and simple and potent opening scene that uh, really only succeed, succeeds on the strength of the music. That's awesome. I mean, I think something that come, came to my mind just when watching season to season is that you guys are able to consistently provide the audience with 
uh, a reason to stay involved, to stay uh, just engulfed in, in just the situations and the characters. How, how do you describe just your own personal kind of challenges of, I wouldn't say it's not like one-upping yourself or trying to do better, but trying to, to continue. I think some shows, they, they'll have a very strong you know, pilot or first season, and then it kind of it will, it will taper off. What do you makes the difference uh is it working together is it working in uh, alone how, how, yeah how have you managed to keep the, the quality so high throughout all, all the seasons so far well i mean just to just to answer very briefly on my end uh i think it's about never getting in a comfort zone uh, always tackling a story that you've never told before um taking risks uh knowing that that the more risks you take, the more mistakes you'll make. I can look at three seasons of House of Cards and point out hundreds of mistakes from the minute to the macro. Uh, but to me, they're, they're evidence of, uh, of not sitting on our laurels, of, of not getting lazy uh, and constantly experimenting. Uh, for every one of those mistakes uh, are, are you know dozens of moments where I really feel like we did hit the mark, uh, where we did find something new and it, it expand and evolve the story um, and, and I'm very lucky that I get to collaborate with uh, a bunch of artists who uh, share that same mentality uh, the actors the directors you know our entire production team and of course Jeff uh, who's constantly experimenting I mean Jeff I, I don't know I'd be interested uh, to you know when to, to hear I mean when you look at a season with a little bit of distance um, you know I I would imagine there are moments, not that I'm asking you to point them out, but moments where you say, I, I would have done something a little different there, or that was a missed opportunity, or wow, I took it a little too far, or something like that. I mean, um, because I'm I'm pretty musically ignorant, I'm I'm pretty damn pleased with everything you do. But but um I know you're as rigorous as I am on this stuff and a perfectionist. Um, you know, you, you must have moments like that. Oh yeah, always, constantly, you know, and um you know, I, I Having done a lot of episodic, you know, serial stuff, I've sort of, I've sort of learned to forgive that a little bit because part of the joy of doing a show like this is it's, it's more like you know writing a, a serialized novel or a you know a newspaper column as opposed to really writing a novel where you can sort of have the whole thing in front of you for years and fine tune it and fine tune it to the end. I mean, we have to commit to the things. So, but yeah, there's but, a lot but, of instinct involved. Yeah, and so you know, and the, the thing that always I love about this show and working with this show is, is that you know it's it's often the thing that surprises you that that you didn't plan to do that turns out to be the best thing you know, <laughs> that was just like a little afterthought or you know something that just surprised. And so I think and I, it was fun. I, I heard Kevin talk about this a couple months ago because we were in London and happened to be in town while while we had a premiere in London. Kevin said something I love, which. Uh, you know, it was basically from the acting side, was very similar to what Bo just said, is that like, I love coming into work not knowing where I'm going yet, like not knowing, you know, and, and, and I think, as I think we're all sort of on the same page of like, as opposed to feeling, wanting to feel like we're all working from a place of comfort and yeah, like we know what this show is, yeah, we know what to do this, yeah, grind it out, you know, <laughs> Here, here's another 13 more, it's, it's just this whole, the whole artistic spirit of the endeavor has not, never been about that, you know, um, and and so that's that's the fun of it. And of course, you know, there's 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 hundreds of you know missed opportunities and 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 mistakes. But this, but 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 I think the spirit of experimentation um, is is part of what makes it work. You know, I, film music is so strange in the sense that 
you know, I, I can only, when I'm working, and I don't know how you feel when you're writing, Bo, I'd be curious to hear how this affects you, like when you're writing a script, but you know, at the end of the day, when I'm writing, I, I can only, I can only judge on my own person if, if I feel like I'm satisfied, you know, so, um, you know, I, I tend to try to, you know, I think that's one of the benefits of technology is actually I can work on a cue and sort of step back and try to be a slightly more objective and just sort of watch the show. Um, one of the things that helps me a lot in that sense is just, you know, when I'm done, say if I'm writing chronologically through an episode, I always, I always, whenever, whenever I finish a cue, suppose I'll get another cue that's going to happen two or three more minutes later, I don't just skip to that part of the film. I try to sit back as a viewer and just watch and really observe and pay attention. I think so much of what we do as composers is just really, really trying to notice what's in that scene, not just what's on the script, which is always the beginning point and great, but also what the actors are doing, what the director's doing. Because there's always, there's always a plethora of sort of clues lying in, especially with a show like this, where you can sort of, if, if you sort of spend enough time and try to sort of grok the, the tempo of something, a lot of times you'll, it'll just sort of unlock a little something that, that'll, that'll be interesting. Is there, um, and this is a very non-House of Cards related question, but like I know when I'm listening to music not related to work or any project I'm working on, something will catch my ear and I'll think of like, I got to use this music or this mood somewhere else. What for you is, for, for Bo or for Jeff, what, what are those songs or moments or bands or composers that give you those, mo- that have given you those moments that have kind of seeped into the House of Cards world? Well, we, we rarely use uh, any outside music music sources in the show. Um, uh, when we do, uh, it's actually something that I always discuss with Jeff because I know it's going to affect the sonic landscape of an episode. Um, whether it's someone singing, like, uh, you know, Francis singing a Woody Guthrie tune mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in the second episode of season three, or, or Rachel singing uh, a gospel tune, uh, you know, in, in season two, uh, you know, it, it, or, you know, at the very end of season three we hear Rachel listening to uh, a J.J. Gray Mofro song um, which uh, you know I alerted Jeff to so that you know he, he would know it's there and and uh, but but there's also times where I'm asking Jeff you know if we're going to introduce uh, you know a, an outside element of music for instance uh, towards the end of season two you see Francis and uh, and Raymond Tusk meet at the opera uh, and choosing the aria that we would hear uh, was an important element because it, we were not only going to see you know a few seconds of that but it was going to be in the background uh, when the two men were meeting in the bowels of the opera house, and and I know all of these things affect the landscape of, of what we're going to hear throughout the entire episode. Um, and, and in fact, even setting that scene in an opera house came out of discussions with Jeff, where he mentioned that uh, he wanted to explore something operatic in the score, uh, which I think uh, you know triggered some synapse in my mind when I got to that scene uh, that, hey, you know, an opera house is actually a great place to set this scene. Uh, so so there's, I mean, a, a way in which the discussion about the score led directly to narrative content. Um, but, but typically, uh, you know, as I'm, if I'm driving down the road and listening to the radio or, or going through, you know, my list of songs on my iPhone and, you know, listening to whatever I feel like, I, I'm not usually doing it with an ear to, oh, we have to use this song. Um, but sometimes I'll hear a song and, and think to myself, well, there's a feeling or an element to this song which is striking me in, in a way that, um, you know, it, I think 
that element or that feeling or that atmosphere might be something that that uh, that we want to explore. And and then you know I'll I'll email Chef a link and say you know and, and sometimes these songs have nothing like they're they're so far from the House of Cards vocabulary you would think to yourself well this is absurd but i'll say you know maybe this one like percussive moment or just this feeling jeff you know yeah. of, of no, um you know and 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 he's very good about being able to translate um what i'm that thing i'm hearing in that song into um what he does so well for the score of house of cards no that was that was really true bo and, and like for that opening for season that new opening we did for season two, it was very much came out of, I forget what the reference was, but you sent something to me that sort of evoked that quality of sort of stillness and something that evolves over I a very that long was, time. Uh, there's a baritone sax player. That's right, yeah, yeah. Stetson, who does yeah. incredible multi-tone stuff with a saxophone. I mean, you'll listen to his songs and uh, you think that there's two or three instruments going simultaneously, but it's That's just right, him. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and uh, I sent you, uh, I think, a song of his um, called "In Love and Injustice." And yeah, said, that was it. Yeah, mm-hmm. just right. this is the, a kind of feeling here, and yeah. ran with that. Hmm. And, and, and similarly, we we you know, Bo sent me some. You know, one of the things we talked about in season three was sort of starting the motor again because you know, Bo explained to me on dramatic terms because Frank now is. Is president, he's got you know he it's he it's no longer you know behind the scenes. He actually has to act, and there's this sense of forward motion in this season, which I really love. So, Bo and I talked a lot about rhythm, and he shared a lot of things with me that sort of had that propulsion. Which again, it's not it's not it's not uh it's not the it's not the idea of simply you know trying to literally you know decipher a mu- it's it, you're, it's the feeling of something, which I actually love. I mean, to me, that's actually the most useful form of direction where somebody gives you an idea and a feeling, you know, because obviously then, then it, you know, we all, we always filter that through our voice and the voice of the show and, and um, you know, try to, try to make it ours and own it. You know, one of my, I love the scene, Bo, um, in, in, I believe it's the second, ep- second episode of season two. Frank gives this great sort of um, uh, s- speech about, about his, his whole America works, you know, Oh yeah, season three, mm-hmm. second season three. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, and yeah. and that was a case where the theme I had sort of written this theme based on this sort of mandate. I forget what he called it, you know, mandate or something. I had some idea that like, yeah, this is the motor of a big idea, and that's that actually worked really great against that dialogue, and it and it was fun because it was a case of the writer sort of telling me the thought, the 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 sort of. The, the, the dramatic energy behind where Kevin's character was going to go even before I had seen it on film. And then once I saw it on film and sort of put that music there, which I'd sort of written along with sort of Thibault's sort of pre-shooting direction, it was like all sort of, sort of fit together. I guess it's sort of like the Zen part of creativity, you know? It's like, you know, it doesn't matter. Oh, that's like the very first sketches. The very first sketches weren't based on visuals. They were based on scripts. So, you know, as long as you get an idea of something, a creative target, that's well defined and well expressed, then 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 really, then you should be able to to, to try to you should be able to, um, you know, find something that that hits that that at least describes that. That's it's great. Not, yeah. It's not always going to be the exact right thing, and you might go back and change it a thousand times. But it's just in the doing of that that you actually 
find you find it, which is fun. There's a, a lot of process involved in this um, this sort of a enterprise, which I really love. Pro even more than a feature film, where you know, in a feature film, you know, it's like you write two or three themes and right. well, you're done. You know, you're done, and, yeah, yeah. and you got this, you got the score. I mean, House of Cards is just on this the scale, which is you know, from a from a writer's point of view, is just so much fun. Maybe even lastly here, what can you just say about the fact of Starting on a show which at the time was breaking, it was going into a new format of, of not only being on Netflix, not only releasing the whole season at once, um, but just you know doing something that, that a lot of viewers probably were new to. Well, how can you just describe where your guys' heads are at creatively from forming season one to now season three where there's so much attention and so much love for, for every aspect of the show how does it change the work that you guys do? Are you able to isolate yourself and not get uh, too distracted by the excitement and all the speculation around a show like this? In terms of releasing the entire show in one day, uh, that, that doesn't necessarily affect the writing as much as you might think uh, because it still takes as long to write it and as long to make it as any other television show. And we don't advocate that you binge over not binging. What we really advocate is that you choose your personal experience of, of how much you want to watch in any given time span and whatever you choose is going to be your optimal experience. I will say, however, for those that do binge the show and, and watch it in the course of a few days, uh, from a musical standpoint, you're able to experience uh, that journey that Jeff takes you through in a much more condensed way. I mean, it feels symphonic and mm -hmm. like, you know, you're listening to different movements and you're, you're, you're having this musical experience, this 13 hour um, uh, uh, soundtrack uh, in, in a much more condensed amount of time. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, the, you know, in that respect, there might be an advantage to watching it, um, you know, in a more condensed fashion. Uh, in terms of you know how how does one go into a season four uh, writing for a show that uh, you know has had the success we've had? Well, I don't think any of us expected that we would connect with as many people as we did in season one. We had high expectations. We were proud of the work we did. We thought we had as good a shot as anyone else. Um, but it, I think it overwhelmed us all. The 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 overwhelming response that we got, uh, which has only grown as each season is has moved forward, and you kind of have to um, drown that out a little bit because <laughs> it could be really intimidating if you wake up every day and and think you know that this is what um, we have to live up to. Uh, but but on the other hand, uh, it it challenges challenges you to continue raising the bar uh, that you which is what you would want to do uh, no matter what in any artistic adventure you know adventure that you're taking which is to say to yourself um, well you know what have I learned from these past this past year and how am I going to evolve and grow and expand in the year to come uh, to know that we have so many people paying attention that are along in that journey with us uh, is pretty exciting and I think it just uh, inspires us to to keep doing better. Yeah. What about you for Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Bo pretty much said everything I was thinking, but I, I just, I'll just say, you know, um, I think there's, there's the thing that really constantly I love about doing this show from a purely musical point of view is that as dark and sort of maniacal this world can be, there's a way in which the writing and the acting covers these fascinating layers of humanity. 
that constantly inspire me, you know, and 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 I I I, I sort of relish, you know, that that journey because I, I think, you know, we were never satisfied to just draw characters one dimensionally. And you know, just just look at you know sort of where we ended the season with with Claire's character, great example, you know. I mean, what a fascinating arc she's had, you know, and and the fact that the writers are going to this fascinating point of like, what's it really like being the wife of the guy who gets to sit in the chair when you're a brilliant person, you know? That's 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 something that's so universal and so you know for as modern as we think we are really you know when you look at politics and anything really this whole idea of sort of a patriarchy i think is so ingrained we just don't even really realize it so i think there's there's ways in which you know they just find they find in the writing you know these sort of universals that that i find really fascinating i think that's you know listen we're we're, all, we're always telling the same stories over and over again we you know nothing new under the sun but it's in the way we tell them that that we find value and um, and 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 um, enjoy. So so I think the sense that, as Bo said, that we have such a, a dedicated and devoted audience, just sort of it's like fuel for our fire. Hopefully, in a good way to like we don't want to let them down. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to uh, talk about this. this. This to me is really revealing of how close you guys do work together and how much care and attention you guys put in i guess jeffrey you you um for people who want to find out more about you and your work throughout the year uh, i guess you have a website jeffbeal.com and uh yep. where else should people check out to hear some more of your work uh yeah that's a good start i'm also on twitter jbeal music at jbeal music and uh, a lot of stuff going on awesome so. what about you bo uh yes i'm i'm on the i'm in the twitter sphere at Bo Williman, and, uh, and the best place to check out my work is a website called www.netflix.com. <laughs> there you go. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to uh, the next season here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.